This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. John is one of the four biographies written about Jesus. It was written by a man named John. You can find it by looking up the table of contents. Just look for the book of John. Turn to it. And we're going to be in the very first five verses. Just turn to John chapter 1. Turn to John and look for the big number 1. And so as we get ready to read this part of Scripture, I don't know about you, but Christmas really is one of my favorite times of year. I love everything about it. I love all the Christmas traditions, you know, putting up the tree, seeing all the lights, you know, Christmas cookies. Some people enjoy making them. Others enjoy eating them. You know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time of year. Growing up, one of my family traditions in the Betcher household was we would watch all the Christmas classics. And so we didn't watch a lot of TV during the year, but Christmas time was a special time. And so we'd watch A Christmas Story. We'd watch It's a Wonderful Life. We'd watch A White Christmas. And it just was so much fun. And actually, it's been really fun to be married to Angie for many reasons. But one of them has been she didn't know any of those Christmas classics. She didn't grow up watching those movies at all. And so it's been a fun to just introduce them to her slowly over the years. Her Christmas traditions growing up as a family is they'd eat a big meal, and then after the meal, they break out instruments and they play a bunch of songs. Um, and so they love to sing. She comes from a very musical family. And so my first Christmas with her, I'm sitting there, the meal's done, I'm ready for the movie to come out, but next thing I know, violins are being brought out and guitars and maracas. And if you didn't know you could sing Christmas songs to maracas, uh, come hang out at a Torres family Christmas and you will see what they can do with it. It really is amazing. And so they're starting to sing all these songs. Now, mind you, it's all in Spanish. Um, and my two years of high school Spanish is not helping me at all in this moment. So I have no clue what's going on. They're singing songs that sound vaguely familiar, but again, we got the maracas going, so I can't really follow it that much. And I'm just sitting there, like, trying to kind of, you know, clap on beat, and it is, it is not going well at all, you know? And I'm making a total fool of myself, and my wife, we're not even married at that point, she kind of just puts her arm around me, and it's one of those, like, oh, bless your heart for trying type moments, you know, but just stop, just stop and enjoy, you know, and I'm like, man, when's the movie coming out, you know, like, like, where is George Bailey, you know, I, I got a skill, here's my skill, put DV in player and hit play, like, that, that's about all I can contribute uh, to, to, to Christmas, but I just love Christmas, and I love all the, the fun times that it brings, Christmas really is the most wonderful time of year, except sometimes it's not, sometimes Christmas is not all cheery and bright. Sometimes Christmas is a fresh reminder of how broken things are. It's another holiday spent without a loved one who you desperately miss. It's the close of a hard year and you are just so ready to turn the page. Sometimes it's a reminder of relationships that used to be, but now have become so fractured that you don't even speak with one another anymore. Christmas can be a joyous time, but in the challenging reality that is life, it can also be a dark time sometimes, can it? And yet there is a promise that Christmas gives us that can ground us no matter what faces us. 
And it is this promise that John, one of Jesus' first disciples, it's this promise that he draws our attention to in the first five verses of his biography about Jesus. This is what God inspired his servant John to write. And this is what God says to us. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's have a time of prayer and just ask God to speak to us through the preaching of His Word. I want to encourage you to bow your heads. And maybe you've done this a lot, maybe you've never done it before. Just ask God to speak to you through what you're about to hear. Now, if you'd be so kind, please pray also for me that I'd be strengthened to speak in a way that is helpful to you and faithful to God. God, thank you that you are a God who speaks. You do this because you are the Word. Speaking is not just something you do. Speaking is inherent in your nature as the Word. You are a God who longs to reveal Himself. And so God, we are positioned here now to have You reveal Yourself to us. Lord, I pray that we would hear You speaking to us. Uniquely, in all the different ways that we come, Lord, would You meet us where we are. But please do not leave us as we are. As we hear Your voice, May we be changed by what we hear for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to tell this morning's sermon, Behold the Victorious King. Behold the Victorious King. On the one hand, this passage has some bad news in it. It says in verse 5 that light shines in the darkness. While it is good news that light is shining, it is bad news that it needs to shine. You don't need light to shine in the middle of a bright day. Light only needs to shine when darkness is also present. And so this passage is telling us that darkness is a reality that we face in this world. What is darkness? Well, if God is light, then darkness is everything that is opposed to the light of God's goodness. Darkness is the brokenness of this world. Darkness is things like tsunamis, hurricanes, or earthquakes. We call these things natural disasters, but they are not natural at all. They are not part of God's original good creation, but are signs that this earth is under a curse. Darkness is disease and sickness, and death. Darkness is the spiritual forces of evil that are a very present reality. And darkness is the stuff that can be inside of us. Darkness is the sinful impulses that exist in our traitorous 
hearts, waging war against our souls and tempting us to go astray from God. And yet here's the promise of Christmas. Into this darkness, light has come. Jesus is the light. And because of who he is, we can be assured that the darkness will not win. For verse 5 tells us that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some Bibles translate this verse to say that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. The reason it's being translated differently there is the Greek word that's being translated cannot overcome or understood can mean either one of those things, kind of like our word grasp. If I say, did you grasp something, I could be referring to you holding on to something, or I could be referring to you coming to understand something. That's the same thing that's happening in this Greek word. And I don't think it is by chance that God inspired John to use a word that can mean both unable to comprehend and unable to defeat. Because in using this word and in taking both of its meanings into account, a very powerful thing happens. You see, on the one hand, darkness cannot understand the light. Everything about the light is the antithesis of darkness. And so darkness just doesn't get what is going on and what is happening and the strange things that having the light of Christ present in your life empowers in you. Darkness just doesn't get the things that the light of Christ makes possible. Darkness does not get how Jesus can make it possible that morning may last for a night, but joy just seems to keep on coming in the morning. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. Darkness does not get how Jesus makes it possible for everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. The darkness, it it cannot comprehend how Jesus sustains us in such a way that we can be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. It does not get how in a Christian's weakness, we can still be strong in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. It does not get how Jesus makes it possible for there to be a peace that passes understanding, a joy that is inexpressible, and a comfort that is unshakable. The darkness cannot understand the light of Jesus. And it cannot overcome the light of Jesus. No amount of darkness can put out the blaze of his ever-shining light. His light cannot be understood, and his light cannot be defeated by the darkness. This is the promise that Christmas gives us. Because light has come into this world, no matter how dark things might get, no matter how dark things might be, darkness will not win. Darkness will not win. And there are three reasons that John gives us about why we should trust this promise that darkness will not win. We're going to see how the darkness will not win because Jesus is the incomprehensible God. Then we're going to see how the darkness will not win because Jesus is the all-knowing Creator. And then finally, we're going to see how the darkness will not win because Jesus is the eternal life. 
First, the darkness will not win because Jesus is the incomprehensible God. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word. Notice the use of that word was. That's a past tense verb. And so what this is saying is that before the beginning even began, the word already was. The word existed before existence. Because the word was God. And God has always been. Try to think about that for a second. Try to think about something that has no beginning. If you think about that for more than three seconds, your, your, your mind will begin to blow. I've got no illustration for you. I've got no analogy. Hey, this is like that. Because anything I could point to in this world, what it started somewhere. I traveled to Rome one time and saw the oldest thing I've ever seen. It was a tree. It was over 2,000 years old. Amazing. This tree is like five times the age of our country. It was an unbelievable thing. And yet, that tree still had a beginning. It went back a ways, but it still started somewhere. God did not start anywhere. God has always been. He is pre-existent. He existed before existence with no start. And that should just blow our minds. And if our minds aren't blown by that, look at what John goes on to say. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This, this Word is God, and yet also is somehow distinct in such a way that it can be both God and with God at the same time. And so if you thought the idea of God having no beginning was hard to comprehend, try to think about this. The Bible presents there being only one God. But this one God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. United in such a way that there's only one God. The Word was God. The Word was not part of God. The Word was not a mode of God. The Word was not a piece of God. The Word was not a phase of God. No, the, the Word was true God of true God. The Word was God. There's only one God. And yet somehow the Word is also distinct from God. The Word was God and the Word was with God. There's one God, and yes, the God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Each are fully God, and each are not each other, but each are united in being in such a way that there's only one God. Again, I got no analogy for you. I've got no illustration. This is beyond our comprehension. But this is what Christmas points us to. It points us to the Word who was God and the Word who is with God. And as John will go on to write in verse 14 of this chapter, And the word who became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. One of Jesus' disciples named Philip asked him one day, Jesus, when are you going to show us God the father? He had heard Jesus regularly pray to God the Father. He saw the relationship that Jesus, God the Son, had with God the Father. And he wanted to know when an introduction was going to be made. But this is how Jesus replied. John chapter 14, verse 9. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is distinct from the Father, When he prayed, he was not praying to himself. He is distinct from the Father, but united in essence in such a way that to see him is to see the Father. And so he says, how come you still don't know me? Friends, this is mind-blowing stuff. God, no beginning. God, three in one. 
Jesus shows us that God is incomprehensible. He blows our finite minds, which is really, really good news. Because only a God that we cannot fully understand is a God who can do things beyond what we can understand. Only a God who's not limited to us is a God who can do things that are beyond us. How often we go through hard things, we are driven to despair because we just don't see a way through. Right? Something devastating happens, how can I go on? Something unexpected occurs, I didn't see that coming. When's the next hit going to get me? Something that exists inside of us, a sin pattern that we just can't seem to shake, I don't know how I can possibly change. Friends, when we don't know what to do, we have good news. There's a God who's not limited to what we know how to do. There's a God who's not confined to what we can conceive as possible. There's a God whose abilities are not determined by our capacity to conceive of what he can do. There's a God beyond our understanding. And therefore, there's one who can do things that are beyond our understanding. God is incomprehensible. And that is very good news. And yet, this incomprehensible God is not an unknowable God. No, Jesus is the incomprehensible God. This word who was God and was with God, he did come and put on flesh. At Christmas, heaven touched earth. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Friends, there is no God who exists in heaven who is not like Jesus who came to earth. And therefore, though we cannot know God fully, we can know him truly. We can know who God is and what he is like because he has written himself into the pages of human history. And so in the tender words of Jesus, we see God's compassionate heart. In his kindness, we see God's sweet mercies. In his healings, we see God's tenderness and his power and his desire to use that power for our good. And in his cross, we see God's commitment to justice. He will punish sin. And yet we see also his nature of grace. He's willing to be punished for us. We might not understand God fully, but friends, we can know him truly through Jesus. He is incomprehensible, but he's not unknowable. And this is good news. Because this shows us that the darkness will not win against this light. Because if such a God exists then that means there is no one and nothing that is greater than him. And therefore, there is no one and nothing who can stop him. The darkness will not win because the light shines in darkness and this darkness will not be able to overcome it. Jesus is the incomprehensible God. Second, the darkness will not win because Jesus is the all-knowing creator. Jesus not only existed before there was existence, he is the one who brought all things into existence. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus made it all. I was speaking at a conference one time, and this college student came up to me, and they really wanted to talk about the Big Bang Theory, and so they were, not the TV show, but the actual theory. Um, And so they were talking to me all about it, and uh, they must have been a science major because they knew a lot about it. And it was fascinating. It was fascinating to hear all these things. I'm like, man, this is amazing. You, you're actually, 
you, you are giving me a very compelling case to think that the world had this sudden explosion, that, that actually all things came from nothing and came through this big bang. That, that, that's amazing. I'm following you there. I am. But here's my question. What made things go bang? What made things go bang? The student's like, well, I, I'm studying science. I'm not studying philosophy. You'll have to talk to a philosophy major about that. And they kind of smirked like philosophy major, what they do, right? And I said, well, wait a second. Hold on just for a minute. You've been sitting here for the past 20 minutes trying to convince me that everything came from nothing. And you gave me all the scientific evidence for that. But in order to have, be scientific evidence, as you know, as well as I do, right, scientific evidence are things that can only be repeated through scientific experiment. That's how, that's how you prove scientific laws. They get repeated over time. What experiment has proven something coming from nothing? Like, when, 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 when's that experiment been done? When, when, when was that observed in a laboratory? And the student's like, well, uh, I guess it hasn't. I'm like, no, it hasn't. And so actually, we haven't been talking about science this whole time. We've been talking about philosophy this whole time. And so let's talk some more. And let's see whose philosophy of life actually makes more sense of this world. And I'd love to tell you about Jesus. And I had to then go and talk to him about Jesus. Because the Bible is clear that the world starts with Jesus. The first three words here of John 1 in the beginning, if you read the Bible you know that that's actually how the Bible begins. Genesis chapter 1-1 one, one starts by saying what? First three words. In the beginning. Genesis 1 goes on to do what? It goes on to describe how God created the world in the beginning. How did God create the world in the beginning? He didn't think it into existence. He didn't paint it into existence. He didn't dance a little jig and make it go into existence. It was not a clap-on, clap-off type situation. No, he spoke the world into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let water be separated from land, and there were oceans, and there was land. On and on, Genesis 1 goes, God spoke, and it was so. God spoke, and it was so. God spoke, and it was so. Friends, God spoke the world into existence. He created the world through his word. And this is what John is explicitly linking back to. Jesus is not only the revelation of God, Jesus is the creative agent of God. As Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, for by him, meaning Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the creator, which tells us two things. First, it tells us that he cares about the world, including us, those who are in the world. He cares about the world because he's the one who made the world. The creator is invested in his creation. The Creator cares about His creation. Second, since He made the world, not only is He invested in it, He also knows how to fix what is wrong with it. There's a story that automaker Henry Ford contracted one time with a man named Charlie Steinmetz, who is this electrical genius. 
he contracted with him to build generators for his factory. Stymets did, and everything went well for a while, but then one day, the generators stopped working. Henry Ford immediately sent his repairman to fix them, because with the generators not working, the production line had completely stopped. However, after several days, the repairman just couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so in desperation, Ford called Stymets. And Stymets came and tinkered with the machines for about an hour, and then flipped a switch, and the generators whirled to life, and production began again. Ford was so grateful until he got Steinmetz's bill. Steinmetz's bill was $10,000, which $10,000 for about an hour of work is a lot of money now. Imagine what it was back in the early 1900s. Henry Ford was known for being pretty tight-fisted, and so he demanded to know why the bill was so large. Steinmetz sent back a detailed inventory for tinkering with the generators for an hour. $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Steinmetz knew how to fix what was wrong with the generators because he was the maker of the generators. Friends, God knows how to fix what is wrong with this world and with us because he is the one who made us. And so he knows how to get all this darkness that was never supposed to be part of his creation in the first place. He knows how to take it all away and he promises to do just that when he comes to make all things new. Next Sunday, Pastor Caleb is preaching exactly on that as he preaches a sermon on the return of the king. It's going to be awesome. You'll want to make sure to come back to that. But the point that this text is making to us this morning is that we can be confident that the darkness will not win because there's no problem that can happen in this world that can stump the maker of the world. He is God, and so there's nothing beyond his power, and he is creator, and so there's nothing beyond his knowledge. The darkness will not win because Jesus is the incomprehensible God and because he is the all-knowing creator. And then third, the darkness will not win because Jesus is the eternal life. In him, verse 4 says, was life. Jesus did not get life. Jesus was not given life. Jesus is and always has been life. He himself is the source of all life, which means not only is he the creator of all life, but he is the ongoing sustainer of all life. Acts chapter 17 verse 28 says, in him, meaning Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Jesus did not just create this world and set it spinning in space. No, he's the one who keeps it spinning in space. The reason the world exists on its perfect axis around the sun, only a few miles further away and we would all freeze, only a few miles closer and we'd all burn up. The reason that the world exists on its perfect axis around the sun is because Jesus is the one who keeps us there. This is not an accident. There is no accidents. Jesus is at the center of everything and he is sustaining our lives right now in this very moment. Right now, in this very moment, we are breathing his air. You didn't create this air. This is his air that he's giving you to breathe with the lungs that he created you to have. Jesus is the one who is keeping our hearts beating and our brains firing and the atoms that hold everything together. He is the one who holds those atoms together. He is life. But not only physically and not only materially, 
He is life spiritually. Jesus will say in John chapter 5, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Or he'll say it this way in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What Jesus is saying here is the hard truth that apart from believing in him, we are all dead. We might have physical life, but we do not have everlasting, eternal life. Because we all sin, we all do things that are wrong, that are against what God wants for us and against what God commands us. In our sin, we wage war on rebellion against our Creator. And the judgment for such rebellion, the judgment of sin, is death. Not just physically. No, death is eternal separation from the God of life. But Jesus came into the world so that we might have not eternal death, not eternal separation from the God of life, but instead we might have eternal life with this God forever. Jesus is spiritual life. He is the eternal life. He is the life that saves from judgment. And so if you have the Son, if you have Jesus, if he is in you and you are in him, then life is in you and you are in life. His life, verse 4 says, is the light of men, meaning all of mankind. Every man and every woman can have life in Jesus through his light. What does it mean to have life through his light? What does light do? When you turn a light on, you see what was there. What was once in darkness is now revealed. Friends, Jesus came to turn the lights on about God. Jesus came to show us the God who is there. And if we see his light, that means that we believe in him. That means that we love him. That means that we treasure him. As we see his light, in that we find our everlasting life. Which is why the prince of darkness, Satan, tried to do whatever he could to put the light of Christ out. For eons, there was nothing he could do because Jesus only existed in the unassailable fortress of heaven. But when Jesus came to earth, when the word became flesh, the word became, for the first time ever, vulnerable. And now is Satan's opportunity to strike. And so when Jesus was born, Satan stirred up King Herod to have every child under the age of two killed in the place of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem. He's trying to wipe out this light. That God sent an angel to warn Mary and Joseph, and they fled with Jesus, and his life was spared. Throughout Jesus' life, demons attack him again and again, but he defeats them again and again. At one point, Satan himself comes and tries to break Jesus in the wilderness, but Jesus stands firm against Satan's temptation. But then one day, Satan seduces Judas. Judas was one of Jesus' followers. And Satan gets Judas betray Jesus. In the darkness of night, he leads the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers to invade Jesus' camp. And they seize him and haul him away to be killed. And Jesus is taken, beaten, stripped, 
nailed to a cross and hung to die. Matthew chapter 27 verse 45 says that as he hung there, darkness, there was darkness over all the land. Had Satan won? Had God finally been outmaneuvered? Had darkness overcome the light? As Jesus breathed his last, he was taken and laid in a grave. When that happened, his disciples scattered it and hid because it seemed like all was lost. Jesus was dead. In Jewish law, it took people three days to be declared legally dead, just in case you revived after the first day. And so day one of him being in the grave, maybe there was some hope that something would happen. But day two, hope fades. Day three, all hope is gone. Jesus laid in that tomb for three days. He was dead, dead. Satan must have thought he had won. But the darkness does not understand the light. And so Satan did not understand that when the author of life goes into death, he does not do that to stay dead. No, he does that to reverse the curse of death. The judgment of sin is death. And on the cross, Jesus died our death so that he could then win for us eternal life. And the proof that he has won for us eternal life is that Jesus did not stay dead. You can go and you can visit Jerusalem, but you cannot go and find the corpse of Christ. Because after having paid for our sins and dying our death, he came back to life to prove that his death was enough to pay for our debt of death. He came back to life to prove his forever victory. And so, yes, it was a dark night when Satan killed when it, all those children. And it was a dark night when Satan confronted Jesus in the desert. And it was dark days as Jesus hung on the cross and then was laid in a tomb. But friends, we need to see the darkness did not win because Jesus' tomb is now empty. He is the victorious king whose eternal life proves his victory over sin, Satan, and death. And in his victory, we see the assurance that love will always beat hate. That peace will triumph over panic. That faith will defeat fear. That hope will overcome despair. And for any who put their faith in Christ, there is grace for our guilt. There is redemption for our regrets. There is salvation for our sin. There is covering for our shame. There is truth for our confusion. There is spiritual life for our spiritual death. And the evil one? Oh, as the old hymn says, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. You ask who that word might be, Christ Jesus, it is he, the Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age, the same, and he must win the battle. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, Christmas is so much more than nostalgia. It's so much deeper than even enjoying time with friends and family. 
No, as we see Jesus come to earth, we see the truth of God's promise embodied. In his light, we can trust that the darkness will not win. And so as we come to a close, friends, this is a promise that we are meant to build our lives upon. For not only is it a comfort when we go through hard times, it certainly is a comfort when we go through hard times. But I think sometimes we focus so much on comfort that we miss out on calling. Friends, this promise that the darkness will not win is a comfort, but it's also a calling. Because the darkness will not win, we should not be passive towards the devil or resigned towards evil or the brokenness of this world. Because the darkness will not win, we should not just give in like everyone else does to American consumerism and materialism and the smallness of the American dream and in doing so waste our lives. No, because the darkness will not win, we should give ourselves to taking risks to spread the good news of Jesus at our jobs, in our schools, on our blocks, with our families. Because the darkness will not win, no matter what blowback we might experience in the cause of Christ, we can rest assured that in Him our labors are never in vain, for the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Friends, this is not meant to just be a comfort. This is meant to be a battle cry to give ourselves and to spend ourselves for the sake of making his light known. Here at Christ Church, our vision is not to be a lifeboat where we kind of huddle up together and just make our way to the safe shores of heaven. No, we're not trying to build a lifeboat. We're trying to build a battleship that is waging war against the forces of darkness in the city of Philadelphia and believes that in Jesus the darkness will not win. And so we're going to keep showing up Sunday after Sunday and building together a community of love in Christ that pushes back the darkness of the city with the light of Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, friends, this passage is meant to be a comfort and it's meant to be a calling. This passage is meant to comfort you when you go through hard times and it's meant to call you, to exhort you that when the darkness presses against you, do not shrink back, but keep moving forward in the cause of Christ because he is the victorious king and he will win the battle. And if you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you're just not sure. I'm so grateful that you would be here. I don't think it's by chance that you would be here. I believe God's given you an invitation today to come and taste victory. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've strayed. It doesn't matter how long it's been. There was a baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago so that he could live the perfect life that you fail to live, so that he could then die on the cross in your place, so that he could then rise from the grave to prove that he is truly God and there's salvation for anyone who will turn from their sins and turn to faith in Jesus. I pray today would be the day that you turn, that you turn and place your faith in Christ. Friends, in whatever place we find ourselves in, with whatever we got going on, may we hear the call of this passage. And with eyes of faith, may we behold our victorious King. And in his victory over sin, over Satan, and over death, in his victory, may we celebrate a very Merry Christmas.
not heads for work.